So I'm watching the national championship game. I'm torturing myself this week, watching the national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. And I, I did come away with general thoughts that are not overwhelmingly positive for the Big 12. And I'll explain them here. Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. It is always great to be here with you each and every week. And uh, college football season's over. It's a depressing time of year. We got to wait, what, eight months now until we get college football back. It's just, it's sad. It's sad. But hey, this show, by the way, does not end. If you are new to this show, if you are someone who has uh, not been a regular consumer of this show until, let's say, maybe this season because we had a new big spike of listeners after all the conference realignment stuff earlier in uh, 2021, we continue all year round. We're going to talk hoops with Matthew Postons coming up. So there's still a lot that we're going to be doing here. And football is my bread and butter, of course. So we'll be talking about that, that plenty as well. But as I'm watching that game unfold on Monday night, and by the way, college football's got to get its head out of its butt and get Saturday back. All right, why I'm falling asleep in the second half watching this game, I know my alarm goes off early because of what I do for a living doing a, a morning show in Kansas City, but I, it just it shouldn't be this way. I mean, if you're on the East Coast and you have a 9-to-5 job, that game runs late. Game's running until what, 11.30, 11.45 at night on the East Coast? It's crazy. It's way, way too late. So college football's got to grow a backbone, get some cojones, and get back Saturday, all right? Last Saturday would have been a great time for the game. Uh, And then secondarily, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, do I believe that had Oklahoma State made the playoff, or Baylor made the playoff for that matter, either of these teams would have beaten, let's say, Georgia or Alabama in a semifinal? I don't. And I don't say that with any great joy. Now, we just saw the Big 12 do great in its bowl games, right? Big 12 had a very good bowl season. And, you know, the new future Big 12 teams had very good bowl seasons. You had uh, wins over SEC teams, UCF, Florida, uh, Houston, Auburn. So we saw all of that. And that's all very encouraging. Here in this bowl season, we saw K-State beat LSU. We saw Baylor beat Ole Miss. But that's different than what I saw on Monday night. I mean, you may have had half a dozen to ten defenders on that field between both teams who are going to play and be starters in the NFL. And that's, that's, that's what you had. Now, this doesn't mean the SEC is, is deep. It's not a deep league. Let's be very clear. That's been my knock on the SEC for a very long time. I stand by it. It's been carried by Alabama for over a decade The rest of the SEC has ridden those Alabama coattails. And now Kirby Smart, who, you know, is part of the Nick Saban coaching tree, has mirrored that to a degree at Georgia and has done a very good job, an incredibly good job mirroring that at Georgia. And I give him all the credit in the world for what he's built at Georgia. So it's still a very top-heavy league, right? Like Texas A&M and Mississippi State and whoever else you want to talk about here, does not get credit for the quality of program Alabama and Georgia have. They don't. Now, to the media, they do, but they should not. But does it change my opinion that when I watch these two teams, I think the Big 12, had it gotten into a college football playoff, would be playing for a national championship this past week? No, it it doesn't make me feel that way watching these two teams. It just doesn't. 
doesn't mean I'm backing off the Big 12. I love this conference. I'll stand up for this conference, I believe, more than anybody else um, with an audience of this size. And you guys know that if you've been a longtime follower of this show and subscriber of this show. But I, I will also add that I'm not going to be naive and be stupid about it, and, and I'm going to call it how I see it. Now, what does that mean for college football, by the way? It's not great for college football. I think the expanded playoff, which I'm hopeful will come because I think it's imperative for the Big 12 that it happens. When the expansion of the playoff comes, are we going to have some upsets? Sure. Can Boise State, Oklahoma happen in a college football playoff game? Yes, absolutely. And by the way, if we get 12 teams, which is probably the number that's going to happen, it's just a matter of when at this point in time. It looks like it's going to be 2026 based on some of the meetings that took place. Uh, This week, Bob Bowlesby's not happy about it. It looks like it's going to be uh, later than many of us wanted. But either way, I mean, can upsets happen? Absolutely. And those games should be on college campuses. I will add that as well. But does it change the fact that we're likely to have, you know, Alabama and Georgia, Alabama and Clemson on repeat in too many of these championship games? I think it helps the possibility of avoiding that, but do I think it's drastically going to change the sport? No. What can save the sport, though? And I think this is an important part of the conversation to have. What can save the sport? The transfer portal can save the sport in a weird way. There's got to be more guardrails around the transfer portal. There's no doubt about that because it is the Wild West. But, I mean, when you've got quarterbacks shifting all over the place, Look at Chuba Purdy, the brother of Brock Purdy, former four-star recruit. He was at Florida State. He's hit the portal. Uh, Dude was at Oklahoma this week. He's going to Nebraska. I mean, he's all over the place. So I think it's good from that standpoint where a five-star prospect who's sitting on the bench can say, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else and play. Like, I like that part of the sport. And considering that coaches are moving uh, as quickly and openly as ever before, it's not fair to say when Brian Kelly can pick up and walk away from his team as, you know, they might be able to backdoor their way into a college football playoff, that's a joke. It's a bad joke. So I, I'm all about player mobility. Is it, uh, does it need guardrails? Absolutely. Absolutely it needs guardrails. But the transfer portal can be the thing. That allows guys, instead of LSU, even though LSU, you know, lost to K-State with its backup four-star studs, as I throw out my air quotes, LSU can have a two-deep of all five- and four-star guys. Some of those five- and four-star guys that may be backing up maybe saying, you know what, I'll transfer to a place like K-State. I'll transfer to a place like Texas Tech. And that can actually help the parity of the sport. I saw a bunch of Alabama guys are hitting the transfer portal. I mean, if you are if you go to Alabama, you're a four-star stud, and you've got no chance of seeing the field because let's say you get to campus, you're behind a five-star guy who's a two-year starter, then they got another five-star guy coming in at your position, and you fall behind him, and, and maybe it's your fault you're not working hard enough, but maybe it's really not your fault. I mean, who knows? There's always politics involved in this stuff. And you say, you know, I'm leaving Alabama. I'm going to go play at Kansas. I, like, that's not unfathomable, and it shouldn't be viewed at as unfathomable. So I'm, I'm all about this transfer portal, and that's why, by the way, you've seen Nick Saban trash the transfer portal a bit. 
Now, e- even though, yes, I know, I know people are going to look at this and say, well, um, he's also benefited from it in some ways, and that is true. There was actually a, an article that I read. Oh, where was I think it was the New York Post that had a piece saying the transfer portal has been actually key for Nick Saban in a weird roundabout way. I know it's hard to believe, but if you look at it, I mean, he's got former Ohio State receivers in Jameson Williams. Uh, he's got ex-Tennessee linebackers. So he's he's used the transfer portal effectively as well. But I think it's far more likely that guys leave Alabama. I mean, Alabama's got seven players entering the transfer portal after the national championship game than it is of a guy, let's say, knocking it out of the park at a Tennessee or at a, you know, Mississippi State and then going to Alabama. Because if you're that player who's knocking it out of the park and you're already in a Power 5 conference, you're going to get drafted. You don't have to go to Alabama to prove yourself or whatever phrase you want to use. You don't have to do that. And players, I believe, understand it. It's far more likely that a guy who can't see the field at Alabama is going to say, I've got to go to maybe a mid-tier Power 5 program because i got a better chance of getting on the field and proving myself for the next level because you can't get drafted sitting at Alabama for five years as a backup. You just can't do it. So this, there's a lot of moving parts here. The, the transfer portal is crazy. you got literally 3,000 people in the transfer portal. I mean, it's nuts how many guys are in this thing. And I, I'm not against it. It's, it's frankly what I see to be the last chance to create parity and bring parity back to college football, which it desperately needs on a national level. Regionally, the sport's fine. It's fine in the Big 12 country. It's fine in SEC country. It's fine in you know, a portion of Big 10 country and ACC country. It's bad in Pac-12 country. We know that. Have fun, Lincoln Riley. But I'm fascinated to see how this portal plays out for, let's say, you know, what you would call mid-tier Big 12 teams, K-State, which I believe will use it effectively. Uh, You know, how does an Iowa State handle it? How do some of these other schools handle it? That's what I want to see. That's what I'm fascinated by. And then, and then we'll be able to determine what exactly it means for the future of the sport. Texas Tech, schools like that, West Virginia, that will be defining for the future of college football. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's great to be here with you. Coming up next, let's talk some hoops with our man, Matthew Postens. He is right around the corner. Hang tight. He'll join us next right here on the show. And it's now time to talk Big 12 basketball with our guy, Matthew Postens, doing a great job on the website, crushing it on the Big 12 hoops front. He's joining us on heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. All right, Matthew. uh, Boy, the Big 12 basketball season is a gauntlet. Uh, Texas Tech upsetting Baylor, handing the Bears their first loss of the season, the top-ranked Bears in the country. How about the job Mark Adams is doing? Is this surprising to you? It seems like a lot of Tech fans are saying, hey, we knew this was going to happen. Mark's really the brains behind Chris Beard anyway. But do you think that's a little revisionist history? Or is is Mark Adams really the, the guy who made Tech churn under Chris Beard and now he's just reaping all the rewards? Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think Mark Adams was uniquely suited for this job. And I think that's one of the reasons why tech fans were so happy to see him elevated to be head coach. Um, 
nationally, folks really don't know who Mark Adams is, but folks in Texas know who he is because he's been around the state his entire life as a head coach in other places. He's won 544 games as a head coach. He won a national championship at Howard College, which is a junior college here in Texas. He's in the National Junior College Hall of Fame. I mean, he is a quality coach. Anybody in the state of Texas recognizes that. And he's uniquely suited for this particular job at this particular time because when he was a head coach at, I think, uh, UT Rio Grande Valley or Pan American back in the day, um, it, you know, things were the way they used to be. You recruit players, you coach them, you develop them, you try to get the best talent you can. And he just never really had a lot of success there. Now things are different with the transfer portal. He, he had so much roster turnover between Chris Beard and his first year. They lost a bunch of players. They took out a bunch of players. He, in essence, ended up with a junior college team at a high major level. And he knows how to put a team like that together. He knows how to get them to buy in. He knows how to get them to work together on a short time frame. And you saw that against Baylor on Tuesday night. They were still shorthanded. They didn't have Terrence Shannon. Kevin McCullough hurt his ankle again but gutted through it. They were still down a couple of players. They were down even more players when they beat Kansas the previous Saturday. And they only had seven when they nearly beat Iowa State on the road. He's gotten them to buy into what he wants to do on defense, which is the same thing they did when he was working with Chris Beard. And when you can get a team working together and buying into the defensive aspect of your team, then a lot of what you do on offense flows together as well. And that's what I saw Tuesday night. I saw a team that is completely bought into what Mark Adams wants to do. And once they get Terrence Shannon Jr. back, uh, they're going to be – they're going to be a definite influencer in how this Big 12 goes the rest of the way. That is amazing that, you know, this is all happening, by the way, without Terrence Shannon. So uh, does that loss by Baylor, does it signal any concern for you uh, about this Baylor program? Or is it just, hey, they were bound to lose at some point. Tech's a heck of a team. Uh, they weren't going to get through this Big 12 schedule unscathed. And, and this is still a, a national championship contender. No, I think they're still a national championship contender. I think Tech did expose you know, one thing, you know, Baylor doesn't have Baylor's offense in their interior has gotten better. Uh, Jonathan, Sean Machachua and Flo Thamba have gotten uh, to become more productive offensive players, but unlike the, the inside players at tech, they can't create their own shot. They're really, they're scoring off of rebounds and scoring off of putbacks and things like that. So um, they're still going to be very perimeter driven, which is what they were last year. So if they if they have scoring droughts or they have shooting droughts like they had against Tuesday night against Texas Tech, um, you know they're going to be leaning a bit more on Thamba and Jonathan Chamachachua. And you know to this point they haven't been quite as consistent as I think they would hope they would be. You know JTT averages about ten points a game, but again most of that's coming off of second chance points and putbacks. So they're not creating their own offense inside. That's something to watch as the as the season goes on. Matthew Poston's joining us talking Big 12 hoops here on the show. All right, Matthew, we saw Kansas sneak away with a win over Iowa State. Iowa State fans obviously uh, upset over some officiating at Allen Fieldhouse. It's never going to come down to one player, one call. But what do you make of those two teams? They're both ranked in the top 15. It seems like they're they're kind of right in that second tier if we're putting Baylor on that top line. What 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 are the differences in these teams right now, and and what do you project them to be the rest of the season? Well, with Kansas, you know, certainly they're a a, a high level offensive team, um, and you know they've got a lot of different weapons and a lot of different ways they can beat you on the offensive end. They're good on defense. You know, Iowa State's kind of a bit of a flip. They're incredibly good on defense. I mean, you saw what they did against Kansas, and really. 
every other team in the Big 12 so far this year. Uh, they've got three quality offensive players, and what I really feel like they need is they need somebody like a Tristan Inaruna or an Aljaz Kuntz or a, a Caleb Grill to really become a consistent 10-point-a-game guy for them in Big 12 play because – uh, they really need like a fourth option on a consistent basis offensively. Um, you know, teams are starting to devote more attention to Isaiah Brockington, who's a high-level offensive player. Uh, Gabe Kalsher had had a bit of a slump there to start Big 12 play, and he's starting to get out of that a little bit. But that's really the difference. You know, Iowa State doesn't have as many offensive options at a high level as a team like a Kansas or a Baylor. That's kind of the separator. Now, Iowa State's one and three. And, and they've played four great games, I think, and that's really been the difference. It's just their, their inability to generate enough offense based off of their defense to win games. I think that could correct itself as the season goes on. They're going to get another shot at all these teams, but that's really the difference to me. And it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a pretty minute difference, honestly, when you consider that Iowa State's holding – teams under their scoring average by about 10 or 15 points a game so far in Big 12 play. But then again, Baylor's doing that, Tech is doing that, even Kansas is doing that. So the defense in this conference right now is just incredible. Yeah. A team we haven't even talked about being in that conversation is the team that's technically tied for first place in the league, and that's Texas. Um, But it's kind of been a clunky – I don't know, Matthew. I mean, this team's in the top 25. They're 13-3. and But I I know you've seen this too where it's kind of been a clunky few weeks for Chris Beard where – some people are, you know, wondering how much the locker room is bought in, the style of play. I mean, this is, but like, did you watch Texas Tech the last couple of years? They're not, they're not a score ninety points kind of team. So I don't know where those complaints are coming from out of Austin. Yeah, I mean, and and Texas is kind of the way, same way Texas Tech is, in that they had a lot of turnover, particularly in their front court. Their entire mm-hmm. front court from last year went to the NBA. So what I see is a team that's still trying to find its chemistry. Now, they had a really good game earlier this week, and I'm interested to see how they play uh, this weekend and see if they can carry that over. I thought that was their most complete game of the the season in Big 12 play to this point. But they have all the pieces. It, they just they need a little bit more time for it to come together. And if they, if they can continue to you know, kind of pull out some games they necessarily shouldn't win at this point, you know, I still feel like they're the team in March that I don't want to play because if that if the chemistry on that team comes together and everybody figures out their roles, they're incredibly talented. They've got depth at every position, and if they're rolling, they're going to be really, really hard to beat. Yeah, no, I I could not agree more. Uh, West Virginia, are we are we undervaluing the Mountaineers and what they have done so far, or is it that their schedule has been pretty soft? So we got to see a little bit more from Bob Huggins' program here. Uh, I want to see a little bit more from him. But I, one thing I am encouraged by is it looks like Jalen Bridges is starting to kind of really uh, really kind of get out of the scoring slump that he was in uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, when they've got Taz Sherman, Sean McNeil, and Jalen Bridges all firing at the same time, they're really hard to deal with. Their biggest problem is inside. They've got great interior players who play well on defense but they, they're not generating a lot of offense. I think between the, their four post players, uh, they're generating about as much offense together as Derek Culver was last year. Now, they knew that interior offense was going to be a bit of a deficiency for them going into this year. Bob Huggins wanted to get him improved inside on defense. They've done that. Now they've got to start squeezing as much as they can offensively out of those four guys inside. And if they can get that group 
as a group together, maybe up to maybe 20, 22 points a game by the end of Big 12 play, that's going to help them a lot when they get into the tournament. Because in every other way, they're an NCAA tournament team, and I fully believe they'll make the tournament come March. Yeah, it's going to be uh, very interesting to watch it uh, unfold here over the next uh, several weeks. This league is absolutely fantastic, and there's still uh, so much that we'll have to talk more about next week here on the show. He is uh, Matthew Postens. He's doing an outstanding job covering this league as he does each and every year for us at heartlandcollegesports.com. Be sure to check him out. Poston's postcard is how you find him on social media as well. Full slate on Saturday. We'll be talking more next week. Matthew, great to have you on, my man. Thanks so much for being here. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it, Mike. Before you leave us, do me a solid if you could. Uh, I see the subscriptions and the ratings and reviews have slowed down a little bit as they do this time of year. We usually get a big, big push before the football season. Hey, can you do me a solid? Can you take out 60 seconds and show your appreciation and leave a rating and a review on the show on iTunes? And my appreciation to you will be sending you a Heartland College Sports koozie that you can't buy. You can only get with a rating and a review, and send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. I would be so grateful for that. It would really uh, be a great way to help this show grow, which it, it does in a major way. And it's why that you know we are the number one Big 12 podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts because of you guys and doing those little things. So thank you so much for doing that. We appreciate you guys. And uh, hit that subscribe button as well. And after you do the rating and a review, Send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you soon.